Selections from the Odyssey by Homer, translated by Robert Fitzgerald. Penelope. In the evening, Penelope interrogates the old beggar. Friend, let me ask you first of all, who are you? Where do you come from? Of what nation and parents were you born? And he replied, My lady, never a man in the wide world should have fault to find with you. Your name has gone out under the heaven like the sweet honor of some God-fearing king who rules in equity over the strong. His black lands bear both wheat and barley, fruit trees laden bright, new lambs at lambing time. And the deep sea gives great hauls of fish by his good strategy, so that his folks fare well. Oh, my dear lady, this being so, let it suffice to ask me of other matters, not my blood, my homeland. Do not enforce me to recall my pain. My heart is sore, but I must not be found sitting in tears here in another's house. It is not well forever to be grieving. One of the maids might say, or you might think, I had got maudlin over cups of wine. And Penelope replied, Stranger, my looks, my face, my carriage were soon lost or faded when the Achaeans crossed the sea to Troy. Odysseus, my lord among the rest, he returned, if he were here to care for me, I might be happily renowned. But grief instead heaven sent me, years of pain, sons of the noblest families on the islands, Dulcium, same, witted Zacynthus, with native Ithacans, are here to court me, against my wish, and they consume this house. Can I give proper heed to guest or suppliant or herald on the realm's affairs? How could I? wasted with longing for Odysseus, while here they press for marriage. Ruses served my turn to draw the time out. First, a close-grained web I had the happy thought to set up weaving on my big loom in the hall. I said that day, Young men, my suitors, now my lord is dead. Let me finish my weaving before I marry, or else my thread will have been spun in vain. It is a shroud I weave for Lord Laertes, when cold death comes to lay him on his beard. Country wives would hold me in dishonor if he, with all his fortune, lay unshrouded. I reached their hearts that way, and they agreed. So every day I wove on the great loom, but every night by torchlight I unwove it. And so for three years I deceived the Achaeans. But when the seasons brought a fourth year on, as long months waned, Long days were spent through impudent folly in the slinking maids. They caught me, clambered up to me at night. I had no choice then but to finish it. And now, as matters stand at last, I have no strength left to evade a marriage, cannot find any further way. My parents urge it upon me, and my son will not stand by while they eat up his property. He comprehends it, being a man full-grown, able to oversee the kind of house Zeus would endow with honor. But you too confide in me. Tell me your ancestry. You were not born of mythic oak or stone. Penelope again asks the beggar to tell about himself. He makes up a tale in which Odysseus is mentioned and declares that Penelope's husband will soon be home. You see then, he is alive and well, and headed homeward now, no more to be abroad, far from his island, his dear wife and son. Here is my sworn word for it. Witness this god of the zenith, noblest of the gods, 
and Lord Odysseus's hearthfire now before me. I swear these things shall turn out as I say. Between this present dark and one day's ebb, after the wane, before the crescent moon, Odysseus will come. The Challenge Pressed by the suitors to choose a husband from among them, Penelope says she will marry the man who can string Odysseus's bow and shoot an arrow through twelve axe-handle sockets. The suitors try and fail. Still in disguise, Odysseus asks for a turn and gets it. And Odysseus took his time, turning the bow, tapping it every inch for borings and termites might have made. While the master of the weapon was abroad, the suitors were now watching him, and some jested among themselves. A bow lover, dealer in old bows, maybe he has one like it at home, or has an itch to make one for himself. See how he handles it, the sly old buzzard. And one disdainful suitor added this, may his fortune grow an inch for every inch he bends it. But the man, skilled in all ways of contending, satisfied by the great bow's look and heft, like a musician, like a harper, when with quiet hand upon his instrument he draws between his thumb and forefinger a sweet new string upon a peg. So effortlessly Odysseus in one motion strung the bow, then slid his right hand down the cord and plucked it, so the taut gut vibrating hummed and sang a swallow's note. In the hushed hall it smote the suitors, and all their faces changed. Then Zeus thundered overhead, one loud crack for a sign, and Odysseus laughed within him that the son of crooked-minded Cronus had flung that omen down. He picked one ready arrow from his table where it lay bare. The rest were waiting still in the quiver for the young men's turn to come. He knocked it, let it rest across the hand grip, and drew the string and grooved butt of the arrow, aiming from where he sat upon the stool. Now flashed arrow from twanging bow clean as a whistle through every socket ring and grazed not one to thud with heavy brazen head beyond. Then quietly, Odysseus said, Telemachus the stranger, you welcomed in your hall, has not disgraced you. I did not miss, neither did I take all day stringing the bow. My hand and eye are sound, not so contemptible as the young men say. The hour has come to cook their lordship's mutton, supper by daylight. Other amusements later, with song and harping that adorn a feast. He dropped his eyes and nodded, and the prince Telemachus, true son of King Odysseus, belted his sword on, clapped hand to his spear, and with a clink and glitter of keen bronze, stood by his chair in the forefront near his father.